You're listening to an audio sermon from Trinity Bible Chapel. For more information, please visit our website at trinitybiblechapel.ca. As Pastor Will mentioned, we're going to be going through a few of the Psalms this summer. And it's always a blessing to do so because we find so much in the Psalms that are applicable today. So as we come to Psalm 119, what I want to do to start is just kind of set the stage for how this Psalm is written. So Psalm 119 is actually a giant acrostic poem. It goes through the entire Hebrew uh, alphabet. So you don't know what acrostic is, it's when you have one letter to start each line, right? So in this case, when you look at your English Bibles, you'll have these headings. So at the very beginning, verse one, you have uh, Aleph, and then uh, verse nine, you have Beit, and then verse uh, 17, Gimel, Daleth, and then so on. And what those are are the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So just a side note, if you ever wanted to memorize the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, just go to Psalm 119, memorize all the different headings, and you'll actually have memorized pretty well all of the Hebrew alphabet, which is a pretty neat thing to do. But this is an amazing poem. This is an amazing piece of Hebrew poetry because each of the stanzas, if you look, there are sections of eight verses, and when you come to each of those sections, every single verse starts with the particular letter that your heading is on. So for instance, in verses one to eight, every single verse, so blessed be those whose ways are blameless, that line starts uh, with the letter Aleph. Every single line. So when you look at it, you see this one letter kind of working your way down. Then you get to the next set of eight verses, and verses 9 to 16, where we're going to be, and it's all bait. You see kind of like, you know, in our alphabet, the B, and it all starts with that letter, and it goes all the way through the Hebrew alphabet, which is why Psalm 119 is one of the longest chapters in the Bible, because it goes eight verses for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it's one of these things where we look at the poetry Uh, of the Hebrew language throughout the Psalms, and this is one of the high points. We see it, and we're just amazed. It is an amazing poem. One of the things that we've been looking at as we've gone through the Psalms is that there are different types of Psalms that we can look at as we look at the Psalter. Uh, The first that Pastor Will was using the last two weeks is a lament psalm. You come to the Lord, things are not going well, and you cry out to him. That's a lament psalm. In Psalm 119, it's very much like a wisdom psalm. It's like a psalm that is used to teach the next generation. Now, of course, every psalm is used to teach, but in specifically, what a wisdom psalm is, is it's psalms that particularly will teach wisdom from the Lord, and they're linked very closely to the Proverbs. But Psalm 119 is a little bit different than the other wisdom psalms. Psalm 119 is more of an ode to the Word of God. So as you kind of look through it, you'll notice that it is very, very closely linked to the Word of God, and you can almost like think of it as some kind of love song or ode to the world, Word of God, as the entire psalm is about the Word, or about the Torah and the law. And what it does is it gives practical insight into the Word of God, but more than that, it's praising the Word, it's expounding on its positive attributes. And actually, this is one of the reasons why, if you've noticed, you've been coming here for a while, Every time before the preacher comes up to preach and actually open the word, what happens? We take Psalm 119 and we read one section of eight verses. Why? Because it's all about the word of God and it's a great place to go and get your hearts ready to actually receive the word. And so, um, because it talks about the word of God and its importance. And so we come to where we want to be today, verse 8, as we get to the end of the Aleph section and into the Beit section. And because of the way it's written, each of the sections can kind of be seen on their own. So we come to this psalm asking the question of the first verse. This is the question that's going to kind of be over the entire time we are in the word this morning, okay? And that's the very first line of the section that we're looking at. And it says this, how can a man keep his way pure? What I believe is that each of the verses has an answer to that particular question. And all of them are linked to the word of God. So, what we're going to do is look at this question, and then I'm going to give you eight points linked particularly to the Word of God and how we can use the Word of God in order to answer that question in verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? So, don't worry, we'll get through it quickly, there are eight points, but uh, it'll go fast. 
So let's read this section of Psalm 119. Um, I will pray and then we'll dive into it. This is what it says, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful that you have chosen to reveal yourself in this manner, that we can open up the Bible, we can look, and we can know that these are the very words uh, that you would have for us. I pray that you would be with me as I uh, expound and as I exposit this text. I pray that any words that are not uh, from you would be cast aside and that only those that will uh, build up uh, and um, sanctify the church and save the lost, we pray. That's what we ask for, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as I said, this section begins with a question. And I believe that the rest of the verses, verses 8 to 16, are an answer to this question. So again, we're going to have this question. And as we go through these verses, verse by verse, what I'd like you to do is keep the question in the back of your mind. Because this is what we're answering. Okay, and the question is this. How can a young man keep his way pure? Again, how can a young man keep his way pure? Now, this is a rhetorical question that the psalmist asks, but it is being asked to somebody, and I think that's the first question as we kind of approach this part of the psalm that we need to ask, and that is, well, who is the question being asked to? Well, it's being asked to the Lord. So if you notice, we get there, it says, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it, by guarding it according to your word? Then in verse 10, it says, I seek you. In verse 11, I store up your word. And then we get to verse 12 where it says, blessed are you, O Lord. So we're talking to the Lord. So the question is to the Lord. And then we're going to see that as we kind of work our way through this psalm, through this song that has been sung throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia, actually, we get a sense of how we can answer that question. So we have the question, how can a young man keep his way pure? And really, a question like this is in keeping with the Proverbs. This is why we say it's somewhat like a wisdom psalm. In the Proverbs, what is happening is it's like a father or a king looking at a young man or a prince and saying, these are the ways to be wise. And what we have here is the question saying, how can a young man keep his way pure? So what the psalm is for is to teach the young so that they will grow up toward purity and not away from it. That's what we look for. And remember, this is the songbook of the church. This is a songbook of the people of Israel. And they would have sung these songs regularly. They would have had them memorized. And the young men and the young women would have memorized this such that they would know how can a young man keep his way pure. And then they would have been able to recite all the rest of these verses. So the next question I think we have to ask as we look at this, uh, this question that kind of highlights the entire section is what is meant by pure? And what I don't want us to do is to narrow it down by taking our 2022 inclinations and kind of shoving it in here. Because if you were to go to a young man right now and you come up and you say, how is your purity doing? Well, we would be thinking of something very specific, wouldn't we? We'd be thinking, okay, you know, sexual immorality. That's what we'd be asking. Are you in sexual sin? Now, of course, that's somewhat meant here in the umbrella, but what we're talking about is not just sexual sin, but it, it, it does include sexual sin, but it's much more than that. What I want you to do is think of being free from the tarnish of sin, okay? Free from sin altogether. Or in the positive sense, what we're talking about is how can a young man be a righteous person? And this is the question that the psalm answers. Again, I think there are eight answers that are given, one for each verse. And every single one of them is linked to the word of God or to the law of God. But what we have is different words that are used to describe the same thing, the word of God. So verse 9, we have the word word. Verse 10, commandments. Verse 11, a different Hebrew word that we translate word. Verse 12, statutes. Verse 13, rules. Verse 
14 testimonies, verse 15 precepts, verse 16 statutes, and word again. But they're all meant to say the same thing. They're all meant to point us to the word of God. Now, they're going to have a different emphasis, and I'll point that out as we go through it. But what I want us to think as we hit those words is they're talking about the word of God, okay? For us, after Christ, it's talking about the Bible. It's talking about the very words. This is what we know. So we have the Bible. We have the Old and the New Testament. And when we read this now on this side of the cross, we know that it includes the word of God, includes both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that is how we are going to apply it today. So the answer to how can a young man keep his way pure is linked to the Bible. Remember that. It's linked to the Bible. But what I want you to do is think about what happens when we purify water. So I saw this demonstration where someone went to a pond and they got a bucket of water and they took the water up and kind of held it up for people to see and said, would you drink that? And everyone's like, of course I wouldn't drink that. It's, it's got muck all in it. It's gross. It's brown. It's disgusting, right? But what they did is they took this packet and it was just this little powder. They poured it into the bucket of water, started swishing it around, and all that junk that was all throughout the water just kind of clumped together and fell down. And it looked like it was completely clear water that was at the top of the bucket. It almost looked like you could drink it. But have I drunk it? Probably not. But that being said, if you wanted that water to be completely pure, what would you do? Well, you'd distill it, right? You'd boil the water, you would get the steam to come up, and then you condense that back into another water such that every single part of the impurities of that water is completely gone. So, so that if you have like a piece of equipment that needs water constantly in it, what is always called for in the instructions? It's always called for distilled water so that if you pour it in, the minerals and different things don't gum up the machine, right? Right? That's usually, so you go and you buy your distilled water, you pour it in, you're fine, and it's completely pure. Now, this is kind of what we're talking about here. Because when we look at the Word of God, it's like a filtration system, in a way, okay? So we look and we say, how can a young man keep his way pure? And then every other answer is linked to the Bible. And we say, okay, we want to filter out sin in our life, okay? Now, it doesn't happen like turning on a switch, you don't just like, bang, I'm perfect. That's not how the Lord works, not on this side of eternity. No, the way the Lord works is you start by reading the Bible, and then your sin is, it's like a mirror. It shows your sin to you, and little by little, you be conformed more into the image of Jesus from one degree of glory to the next. And just like a filtration system that doesn't immediately make the water pure, um, the Bible is very similar to that. There are stages to your life such that when you're 80 years old, you may not be free from sin, but hopefully you're more free from sin than you were when you were 19 years old. So every, what I want you to know, though, is that everything I'm about to go through here, as we go through these eight things, is applicable to a believer, but useless to an unbeliever. You see, the word is the primary way that a believer keeps his way pure, but he needs a changed heart first. That's essential. Without a changed heart, we can't be pure. And in fact, we can't even properly seek for purity. And in no way can we keep pure. So consider Romans 3, verses 9 to 11. Let me read that for you. This is what it says. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged them all. Both Jew and Greek are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God. So we learn here that no one seeks after God. Without some intervention from God, no one will seek after God. But the amazing thing is that the Bible teaches that you can be free from this slavery to sin. This is Romans 6, starting at verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we get this sense here that you can be set free from the slavery to sin. You can become slaves to God. And then it says here that that leads to sanctification and in its end eternal life. 
So what do you need to do before it can even lead to sanctification, even lead to what we're talking about here in Psalm 119? Well, you need to be born again. You need a changed heart. You need to no longer be slaves to sin, but as what Romans 6 says, you need to be slaves to God. And that's where eternal life is found. So if you're here this morning and not in Christ, you need to know that you cannot truly do anything good. And in the end, there is futility to seeking to be pure of sin apart from the new birth. But I'm here today to offer you the good news of Jesus. You see, he died on the cross to pay the wage that was due your sin. And Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. Jesus Christ died on the cross. And if you trust in him, you're not only forgiven, which you are, but you're born again to a new life where you're slaves not to sin anymore, but you're slaves to God, which is where true freedom is found. And this means that you become more pure because you can be sanctified. This leads to... And this is only because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So come to Jesus. If you haven't yet, turn to him. Your life will be forever changed. Be born again to the newness of life. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot receive the kingdom of God. That means have a changed heart. Have a heart that will be inclined to God, inclined to the things of the Lord. And that only happens through a miracle. That only happens if you ask him. So I pray that you do, even today. For those of you currently in Christ, well, you need to have a desire to be pure. That's what this question means. You're not going to ask the question unless you ha- there's a desire for purity. You need a desire to flee from sexual immorality. You need a desire to flee from pride, a desire to flee from hatred, a desire to have sin completely filtered out of your life. That's the desire of a Christian. And in the spirit of this psalm, I hope that the word of God plays a vast role in your life, as we'll see in a moment. You see, we want to be pure from sin. So we turn to the word of God and we let it work through the power of the spirit. So now we're going to go through it, verse 9 to verse 16, and see how the Word of God can bear upon our lives in order to help us, if we are truly in Christ, uh, keep our way pure. All right? So the first thing that we see in how the Word is helping us to keep our way pure is by guarding it according to the Word, guarding our lives according to the Word. So look at verse 9. So we have the question in verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure, and then The answer, the beginning of the answer, goes by guarding it according to your word. By guarding it. It's talking about our lives, the way, right? Another way would be to say to keep watch when we talk about guarding. Some translations, when you look at the word guarding, it says to keep it. Okay? Now the idea is that you take the word of God and it sets guards or watchtowers or a fence around your life. Okay, so you take the word of God, you take the Bible, and you consistently apply it to your life so that it sets fences throughout your life and that you know, okay, I can't go there, and okay, this is where I'll be safe. So you learn that the Bible condemns something. For an example, maybe it's drunkenness. And as soon as you understand that, then you set a guard, you set a fence, and you say, I can't go there. No more. And you change your life accordingly through the help of the Spirit. Now, this goes for every aspect of your life. You set the word as a fence around every single aspect of your life, and it shows you how to live and where to go and where not to go. Now, the word that is used for the English word word here is devar. It's the the way you say it in Hebrew. And it's probably the most general term for God's word. Uh, Derek Kidner, a commentator, says this. He says that it's a term that is embracing of God's truth in any form, stated, promised, or commanded. So in fact, every single aspect of God's word. That's what guards us. This means that we don't pick and choose aspects of God's word and ignore others' parts, because if you pick and choose, the fence is incomplete. Okay? So keeping in mind with a fence, a fence does more than just keeping out those that you don't want in. So for the past two houses that we've owned, we were blessed that it was complete, our backyard was completely fenced in. We have a dog, 
And it's great to know at night that we can kind of just open the door and let the dog out, and it's going to run around, it can't get out, and it'll come back in eventually. It's a good thing. Now, at our previous house, I remember one night, about midnight, I let the dog out, and he started going absolutely crazy. He was barking, he was running all over. I was worried the neighbors would start to get mad, so I got my flashlight, I walked outside. He's kind of in the corner, facing my house, barking away. And I shine the light under the rain barrel, and lo and behold, there's this kind of small skunk sitting there. Now, the skunk was terrified. Here's my dog barking at it. I'm terrified. Here's a skunk looking at me. And my dog's not terrified. It's barking and wanting to get at that thing. How did the skunk get in there? I had a completely fenced-in yard. Well, I'll tell you, the next morning, I got up, and I started looking all around that fence. I found the hole that got in. I plugged that hole. And I'm like, that's not happening again. Now, if the fence was whole, could the skunk have gotten in? If there was no holes? No, it couldn't have. It couldn't have. And that's what we want the Word of God to be like. It's like a fence without holes that we say, okay, we can't go there, we can't go there, we can't go there. But more than that, the other thing a fence does is a fence shows where it's safe to be, right? Guards show where it's safe to be. So yes, when we bring the Word of God to bear in our lives, we say we can't go there, we can't go there, we can't go there. But more than that, it also says, but here are the green pastures. This is where you can be, and this is where you'll have life for the fullest. It works both ways. So it guards us from what will hurt us, which is sin, but it also shows us where the green pastures are. So as we come to this and we see that if we want to be pure from sin, we want to guard our lives according to the word of God. When we come to the word of God, as James says, we don't want to be merely hearers of the word, but we need to be doers of the word. When you find a place where your life is not in line with the word of God, you need to set a guard. You need to set a fence and say, okay, no more. Place the watchman around. Set the fence around and adjust your life accordingly. Use the word to guard your life, and in doing so, you'll be pursuing purity from sin. It's the first way. How can a young man keep his way pure? by guarding it according to your word. Next, the psalmist points to is by seeking the Lord. Look at verse 10. So verse 10 starts, With my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. With my whole heart I seek you. So how are we to seek the Lord? Well, it says right here, we're to seek the Lord with my whole heart. That means every single thing that we have. We aren't to seek him half-heartedly. We aren't to seek him with a quarter of a heart. No, this is an all-encompassing endeavor. It takes everything. Every single part of us needs to be seeking the Lord with our whole heart. And then the second stanza of this verse gives us insight into what it is to seek the Lord. Look at it. It says, with my whole heart I seek you. Then it says, let me not wander from your commandments. So to seek the Lord is to stay close to his commandments, to the word of God. Do you see the link there? Now, I know some of us will say, well, I just want to seek the Lord. I don't know how to seek the Lord. But what we're saying here is the place that you seek the Lord is in the word of God. That's where you'll seek him. That's where you'll find him. Commandments, the word that we have here, according to Derek Kidner, while still talking about God's word, is emphasizing the authority of the word, the authority of his commands, so we don't want to wander from his authority, from the authority that comes from the very words of God. So we seek the Lord in his word, in the Bible, where his authority now resides, because we know that all scripture is breathed out by God. So if you were next to a gold mine and I said to you, I want you to seek out gold, where would you go? Well, you would go into the gold mine and you start looking for gold there because that's where the gold is. But if I said, I want you to go seek for gold, and you went over to the field next door and started flying a kite, would you be seeking the gold? Well, of course not. You're not even in the mine. You're not where it's located. In the same way, we want to primarily seek the Lord where he can be found, and that is in the word. It says here, with my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments meaning that if I'm not seeking you, I'm wandering from your commandments. 
So when we look at a passage like Matthew 6.33, which says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, know that this primarily happens by being in the word of God. It's of course not the only way, but it's very much the major way. And I would say that if you wander from his commandments, there is absolutely no way that you can be seeking the Lord. So here's a question. Are you seeking the Lord? Are you in the word every day? And do you seek him with the whole heart? Do you get into the word only when you have time? You see, seeking the Lord with your whole heart means giving it the first fruits of the day. Now, that could be the morning, that could be the evening, but what I'm saying is it's making getting into the Word a priority. It's not something that you get to if there's time. It's something that this is going to happen no matter what. That's the attitude you have to have if you make it a priority. It's something that will happen. There's no if, ands, or buts. That's how we seek the Lord. We get in his word, and then we do the other things we're going to be talking about. And then this leads to the next way that we can strive to be pure. You see, the next way that we can strive to be pure, that the psalmist points to, is by treasuring or storing up the word of God. Look at the next verse. That's verse 11. It says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have stored up your word. Now, the word stored here could also be translated treasured. I've treasured up your word in my heart. Some translations might have hidden. I've hidden your word in my heart. The idea behind it is that you treasure something so much that you store it up in in a treasure vault. It's safe there, but more importantly, it's ready to be used immediately. Now, the word for word here can be translated promise. It's a different word than in verse 9. And it has the emphasis of that, of being the promises of God. So we're to store up or treasure the promises of God or God's word, because God's word is full of his promises. And then what's the result of storing up God's word? Well, it's right there in the verse. Just read the next line. It says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So again, completely linked to purity. If you want to not sin against the Lord, what do you do? Well, one of the things you do is store up God's word in your heart. Think of it like a silo, okay? What you do if you're on a farm is you take the grain or the corn or the wheat or whatever you're going to need, and you put it in a silo so that it's there and ready exactly when you need it. So then when it's time to feed your cattle or your livestock, it's right there at hand. You don't have to say, oh no, the cows are hungry, i got to go out to the field and cut down some corn and then come in and then feed the cattle. No, it's ready. It's good to go. It's right there. And this is what it's like to store up God's word. You have it so ingrained in you that it's ready at hand the moment that it is needed. So the most obvious point of application for this is to memorize scripture. You see, this is the best way to have it at hand when needed. And it's also the best way to show that you treasure it because you memorize the things that you treasure. And so some of you might say, okay, no, I got a phone. It's always on me. It's got my Bible app on there. I'll just pull it up. It'll be great. Well, your phone can go dead. The power grid can go down. They can take your phone away. But if you memorize the Bible, it cannot be taken away from you. So put the word of God in a place where no one can steal it. This is why we do small group memorization. Small groups will try to memorize parts of the Bible together because it's important. And some of us say, well, you know, we're not into memorizing. That's really not my thing. Well, then start small bits at a time and memorize the word. And in doing so, you'll be storing up God's word in your heart. And what it says here, it says that I might not sin against you. You'll be seeking purity. Store it up so that it's ready and on hand exactly when it's needed. Next, the way that we seek purity is that we learn the word of God. We learn the word of God. Look at verse 12. It says, blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Now quickly, I want you to notice that verse 12 starts with praise to God. And if you look at the rest of the section, you're like, this isn't 
too in line with what's going on. We have all these, you know, I seek you, I store up. Next we have I declare, we have I meditate. But then here in verse 12, it starts with praise. Blessed are you, O Lord. So I want you to think that the word of God will lead to praise. When we're in the word, when we're constantly thinking of it, when we want the word of God to richly dwell on us, what happens then? Well, it leads to the praise of the Lord. This is why we sing the Psalms. This is why the Lord commands us to sing the Psalms, because in doing so, we're taking God's word and it's leading us to praise. This is why we pray scripture. So you notice that when we have the pastoral prayers up front, a lot of times what happens is that there's a piece of scripture and we pray through it and let that inform our language. One of the reasons for that is we want to use the words of the Lord in order to inform our language because that leads to praise. And this is why we preach the word. Because an understanding of God's word leads to the praise of the Lord. And then this is why in the second half it says, teach me your statutes. So a good question to ask if you were to come to a passage like this and it says, teach me your statutes. Well, okay, who's to teach? Who's the teacher here? Well, again, who's the psalm being sung to? Well, it's sung to the Lord. And so we know that the Lord is the teacher. So what this is in the second half of verse 12 is a prayer to the Lord to teach the singer his statutes, the Lord's statutes. Now, statutes, that word, speaks to the binding aspect of God's word, so the permanence of Scripture. But again, what we're talking about here is the entire aspect of the word of God. And we need to know that ultimately our teacher is the Lord. We need to learn to seek and understand God's word. And part of that is praying to God and asking for understanding. The Lord is the one that brings understanding. He is the great teacher. In fact, the Holy Spirit is called a teacher. John 14, 26 says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit there is the helper, and his primary task in that verse is that he will teach Christians all things. So true understanding of the Scripture doesn't just come from studying it. It comes from the Lord, and we need to understand that. I want you to consider all the liberal professors whose only job it is is to look at the Bible and study it. They write commentaries, they write books about the Bible, but they have no understanding of what is contained in it because they do not have the Spirit of God. I believe this is why the Lord has chosen the foolish to embarrass the wise. Because true learning of God's word doesn't ultimately come from us, from our genius, from our IQ. No, true learning of God's word comes from the Spirit of the Lord. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, to qualify that, does that mean that we don't put any effort into it and work hard to study the word? Of course not. We're not just going to sit here and be like, all right, Lord, just kind of by osmosis transfer me some knowledge. No, that's not how it works either. What happens is you study hard and then the Lord will use that to teach you what is within and it'll give you insight. Learning will drive us to keep our ways pure. Because as we understand what's in the word, we understand what is needed of us and what the Lord desires of us and we understand how amazing God is and that will drive us toward purity. So when you read the Bible, you should be praying for understanding as you read and we need to do more than just read the Bible. You should be studying to learn it. It's not enough just to read it quickly, check off that you got it done for the day, and then go about your business, never to think of it again. That's not reading the Bible. That's not doing the other things we'll talk about in studying and meditating. No. We want to learn it. So we ask the Lord, please, Lord, teach me something today as I read it. Doesn't mean you need to be a genius but it does mean that you should be reading to understand what's written and ask the Lord to reveal it to you. Other ways to learn is we hold the Doctrine 101 classes here. You can come learn about the Lord there. I think in the small group discussion, I think that's a great place to have Scripture bear upon one another. 
And it's great to ask questions of others when you just you don't quite understand something. Go to a more mature brother or sister in Christ and say, well, what do you think this means? And you know, hopefully they have a good scriptural answer for you. But remember that learning the word is important. It says, teach me your statutes. So go to the great teacher who is the Lord, and he will teach you. That's my prayer. The next point is that we are to declare God's word. We are to declare God's word. Look at verse 13. It says, with my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. First off, and again, in an ode to the Hebrew poetry, because I just love how it's constructed. If you look at the beginning of it, where it says, with my lips, I declare, and then it says, all the rules of your mouth. You have like kind of this lips and mouth and it kind of works together. I just always find it so fascinating how it's constructed and I think it's just brilliant in its construction. But when we declare God's word, first off, we need to see that it's with my lips. So it's more than just living a good life to show God's word, to show God's law, to show God's rules. This is actually speaking it. It says, with my lips I will declare. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. So it's speaking it. It's more than just living, though it does involve living, but it is actually using your voice to vocalize and tell others about God's rules, about God's word. To declare it shows commitment. And this word, declare, has the idea of counting or recounting and saying, here are the rules. We're listing out the rules of the Lord. Another word for rules would be ordinances. In other words, the nuance here is that it's what the Lord demands of us. That's what it's talking about. Think the Ten Commandments. Though, of course, again, we do have all of God's word in mind here. And so we speak it. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm taking a section of God's word. I'm speaking it to you. We did it earlier today when we read scripture together before I came up. When we sung the truths of scripture, especially when we sung... Uh, sung Psalm, I think it was 78, we were doing this. And as a point of application, what we can do to declare the words of the Lord is, we can do this as a family, right? As a family, we can have family worship together. We can read out loud the words of the Lord together. We can sing them and we can pray to the Lord. We can do this in small group. And I really hope as you're doing your discussions in small group, that we're not just giving opinions, but we're declaring the words of the Lord so that everything we say is grounded in Scripture. You can actually say, here's what the Word of God says as you speak into each other's lives. And then we have a team evangelism ministry here. We actually go out onto the streets and you declare the words of the Lord to the lost and you share the gospel. And We should be declaring the rules of the Lord. That's what it says here. In doing so, you'll be seeking to keep pure by declaring them and showing your commitment to God's Word as you help others to do the same. Next, we need to delight in the word of God. So look at verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight, as much as in all riches. So it's more than just learning. It's more than just storing up. It's more than just guarding. What we're told to do here, and what the psalmist wants of himself is in the way of your testimonies, I delight. It's delighting. This could be rejoicing or valuing. I value it, I rejoice in it, I delight in it. You see, we need to get to a point where we are delighting in everything that is in God's word. We read it and we're like, wow, that's amazing. We need to get to a point where it's not a chore to read and learn, but it's a privilege and a delight, and we can't wait to get into the words of our God. And this is actually so important that it's repeated in this section. If you look at verse 16, it says, I will delight in your statutes. You see, delighting in the word is important. We need to delight in it. We need God to change our hearts so we do delight in it. Now, when we read the stories found in the Bible and we read what God has of us, you see, we see what the Lord wants for us and we need to delight in it. But how much do we need to delight in it? Well, it answers the question here. Look at it. It says, verse 14, In the ways of your testimonies I delight, as much as in all riches. As much as in all riches. That's how much. 
So if you were to be given a million dollars, or let's say even a hundred million dollars, or you have access to the word of God, I hope that you would take access to the word of God before all that money. In fact, what it says here is, as much as in all riches. So if you were to have before you all the riches of the world, your life will be easy, you will be one of the most powerful people in the entire world, and over here you have the only copy of God's word, how should you delight in it? You need to delight in it more than all that money. More than all the riches of the world. Because in, that, in those words, in the word of God, are words that lead to eternal life. And in those words, in the word of God, we're shown our Savior. And in these words, in the word of God, we're shown what he wants of us. We're shown salvation. We're shown how to live. And as it says, what good is that if a man gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul. And so we need to delight in the word. And if you don't delight in the word right now, you need to ask that the Lord would change your heart so as you would be delighted in the Lord. You see, there are psalms where the psalmist sees the Lord as so far away. These are the lament psalms, like what Pastor Will preached the last two Sundays. But what does a psalmist do when he's in those situations? Well, he waits for the Lord, he remembers who the Lord is, and then he seeks to delight in God. That's the paradigm we see throughout the Psalms. And we need to actively delight in the Word. You see, it can be a choice. It's an attitude to how you approach the Word of God. Is, do you approach the Word of God, oh, here's the thing i got to do? Or here's just another book? Or do you approach it as, I can't believe <laughs> that the God of the universe who created everything by the power of his word, wrote a book so I could know what he says and I could know him. Is that not amazing? Like we have this book that has the very words of God and in fact, in our context here in Canada, how many copies of God's word do you have in your house? I mean, I got a whole bunch in my office and we have all this access, and it's just amazing that I can just open this up, I can read it, and I can know 100% that this is what the Lord wants me to know. Isn't that amazing? We don't got to sit there and just wonder, well, I wonder what God wants me to know. I can open up a book and read it. It's phenomenal. It's amazing. We need to delight in it. Delighting in the Word brings about a love for the things that are in the Word, and then it gives a disdain for the things that the Word calls sin. That's why delighting in the Word will keep us pure, because as we delight in it, we delight in what it delights, and we disdain what it disdains, and then we cast aside sin because we know it's not what God wants. So how can a man keep his way pure? Well, one of the ways is by delighting in his testimonies. Next, we need to be meditating on God's word. Look at the next verse. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. First, we need to get into this word meditate. And I think this word right now in 2022 comes with a lot of baggage because of the master, massive Eastern influence that we have in our culture right now. So when I say meditate, I think some of you will be thinking of someone sitting cross-legged with their hands out and being told, let's just empty our mind completely, empty your mind and we'll reach this other form of consciousness. I think that's just pumped as what meditation is. That's not biblical meditation by any stretch of the imagination. No, in fact, when the Bible talks about meditating, it always talks about meditating on something. You meditate on something. It does here. Look at it. It says, I will meditate on what? On your precepts. That's what it says. I will meditate on your precepts. Precepts are instructions. Think of an officer giving instructions to a subordinate. Again, it's another word just for God's word. So we're meditating on the word of God. Alan Ross, a commentator, says this. He says, meditating is thoughtful concentration on God's word. It's an easy way to think of it. But the second part of this verse actually gives a good definition of what it means. And if we look at it, it says, again, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. You fix your eyes on it. You don't look to the left, you don't look to the right, you fix your eyes on the Word of God. Think about if you're shooting. Maybe it's a bow and arrow or a gun. 
If you want to be accurate, what do you have to do? You've got to look at the target and make sure your eyes are fixed on that target. In fact, you'll study it. Your eye will be focused on it. And if you're far enough away, like a sniper who's a mile away and still needs to make that shot, they need to know everything about that target such that they know its environment, they know the distance, they know the wind, they know all these things. So once that they have all that information, they can take that shot accurately. And that's in a small way what we're talking about here. We're focusing so much on what the Word says as we read it. We're concentrating it. We're praying to the Lord to reveal it. We're pondering what it says, and we're asking how to apply it to our lives. And it's not, it's, it takes time. It's not this really quick thing where we're like, okay, I'm going to do that all. It's going to take me one minute. I'm going to get out of here. It's going to be great. No, it takes time. You sit there and you're like, Lord, teach me this. And you read it again. You read it again. You read it again. And you meditate on the word of God. We're focused on what we're reading and we concentrate on it and think about it and ponder what it means and how it applies to our life. So we focus on the word to learn it better. And you know what? In these quiet times of concentration, the Holy Spirit will often speak to us through his word. An insight will come to us that we never knew before. So we need to do more than just read and know. We need to meditate on it. And here's the thing. This takes time. It's not easy. And frankly, it's not convenient. And we live in this time where convenience is just lifted up as the most important thing in the world. Such that if I was hungry, I could go, I could go get lunch in five minutes, get back here and have it eaten. It wasn't always like that. Life used to take more time. What we need to do is understand the goodness to sitting down, taking our time, and slowly working through the scripture. As we slow down and as we take the time on God's word, it will help our walk with the Lord and it will grow us closer as he speaks to us. So here's my question for you. Are we meditating? Are you meditating on God's word? Or are you saying that you don't have the time? Well, from here we have that it's an important thing to do. Take the time. Pick five verses and just go over those verses again and again and meditate on them. What does this mean? What does this mean? If you want to keep your ways pure, then meditate on the word of the Lord. And lastly, if you want to keep your way pure, you must not forget God's word. Look at verse 16. It says, I will delight in your statutes, I will not forget your word. Now we've already talked about delighting, so we're going to kind of skip over that, and we're going to go to that last line where it says, I will not forget your word. Now the word that is used for the English translation word here is the same word that we had in verse 9. And thus again, we have this awesome Hebrew poetry where it's bookended. You have in verse 9, by guarding it according to your word, devar, and then verse 16, I will not forget your word, devar. And it's the only time those two words are used in the passage, and it bookends it and says, okay, now we're done, and it's kind of a summary of everything that came before, as we'll see. Now, another way that you could say this line is, I will not ignore your word. And this is in line with so many commands in the Bible, to remember and to not forget like, it is riddled throughout the scripture. Why? Because we are a people that are so quick to forget. So quick. Here's one of them. Deuteronomy 4.9 says this. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. The amazing thing about this is, this is Moses, Deuteronomy 4. He's standing at the precipice of entering the promised land. And you want to know what had just happened? Manna had fallen from heaven. Quail was appearing as if out of nowhere. They crossed the Red Sea miraculously. They're one generation removed from all the plagues that happened in Egypt. And again and again in Deuteronomy, Moses comes and he says, you have to remember don't forget the Lord. Don't forget his ways because he knows that the children of Israel and he and the Lord knows that you and I are very, very quick to forget. We're not to forget the word of the God. But more than that, this isn't just a personal thing. We're to make sure that our families don't forget the word of God. We're, make, we're to make sure that our churches don't forget the word of God. This is why it's so important that when Pastor Jacob or Pastor Will or myself or whoever is up here preaching, up, who's up here preaching, is that we're not just here talking about what we want to talk about. 
We're not just here saying, okay, we're going to read a verse and that'll springboard and I'll say whatever I want to say today. No, what we do is we want to go verse by verse through the Bible because we know where the power is and we don't want you to forget and we don't want to forget the words of God. That's why. This is typically why we go verse by verse through the text like I have today. And you see, this happened to Israel so much. Every time something miraculous happened, Israel would set up some pillars of stones so that they could point to it and say, remember. Like when they, passed, when they crossed the Jordan River, River miraculously, the waters dried up, they were able to cross on dry land, very similar to the Red Sea. What did they do when they were done? They took the stones from the middle of the river and they, they made a big tower of 12 stones. And the reason for that was that when they were to walk by with their children, their children looked at those stones and says, well, why are those there? they could recount the awesome things that the Lord has done for them. The purpose was so that they would not forget. And we must not forget or ignore God's word. We also must not ignore it. When faced with its truths, we are to be the ones that move. We don't conform the word to us, but we conform us to the word. So what do we do? Well, we remember. We remember by keep reading it. Read it every day. We remember by sharing it with our family and making sure that we read it together. And frankly, when it comes down to it, how do we not forget God's word? We don't forget by doing everything that we talked about before. We use the word to guard our lives. We seek the Lord with our whole hearts. We don't wander from his commandments. We store up the word. We have the word taught to us. We declare it. We delighted in it, we meditate on it, and if we do these consistently, then we will not forget the word of God. But we need to understand that we are quick to forget, and so we must strive to remember. It's a discipline, it's something we actively do. So, how can a young man keep his way pure? That's the question that we began the psalm with, and the rest of the psalm answers this question, and really, it all comes down to our time in God's word. We need to be guarding our lives according to his word. We need to seek the Lord through the word. We need to store it up like a treasure. We need to learn it from the Holy Spirit. We need to declare it to others and delight in it. We need to meditate on it and remember it constantly. And you know what? It might seem like a simplistic answer. You come to verse 9 and you ask the question, how can a man keep his way pure? And when it comes down to it, it's almost like, well, you read your Bible every day. And you really, really love to do that. Well, you know, I remember being in seminary class, and the professor at the time, it was a counseling class, the professor at the time came up and said to me, you know what, like, we will utterly fail if we think that all we need is the Bible to change someone's life. What we need are psychological strategies and whatnot, and I absolutely reject that. You see, the Holy Spirit changed lives, and the Word of God is the primary means by which that happens. If we truly believe that the Bible is God-breathed, then we know that it is the first place that we have to go to with people that are struggling with sin. The well-known verses in 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Do you believe that? Where do you go first? Go to God's word. Pray to him to reveal himself to you and to change your life. You see, we need a desire for purity and a desire for freedom from sin. Every Christian needs that desire. And I'll close with this, and that's the question and the answer of the very first verse we went through. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word.